This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta. Today I'm talking with Gerard Sullivan, drummer for the internationally acclaimed fusion group The Four Corners. When not touring or recording with that quartet, he stays busy as a drummer, programmer, and arranger for many other acts. Gerard attended the performance program at the Atlanta Institute of Music and Media, and after completing the one-year program there, got his professional career off to an early and busy start. He is also the co-founder and proprietor of the clothing line Got Pocket. If you want to help support what we do here at Working Drummer Podcast, we invite you to become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer, and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive video content from our former guests. We're adding to it regularly, and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. Once again, that's patreon.com slash working drummer. Also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Feel free to contact us on those platforms, as well as through our homepage at workingdrummer.net. So Gerard is only 27 years old, but already has a firm command on a very busy and multifaceted career. So let's get right to it. Here's Gerard Sullivan. Four Corners, they've been a band, well, before the Four Corners, for years, maybe like, I don't know, 20 plus years they've been a band together, uh-huh. just playing for different major artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and to my understanding, they they didn't really get serious about the brand, the Four Corners, until about, well now, eight years ago. And I've been with them for about five years. Okay. Um, so they were a backup band? Primarily. Right, right okay. correct. And then they so of course when they were like home not touring, they would do they would do the four corners thing. So it was kinda like a side thing when they were when they were here at home. Right. Um but like I said, they got serious about it maybe eight years ago. And I've been with them for five years. Mm-hmm. So um how that whole situation happened, the way I joined the four corners <clears throat> is uh after I graduated from Atlanta Institute of Music. Yeah, we're gonna talk about that. Right. So after after I got after I graduated from there from there, um, well, actually, no, it was while I was at uh, Atlanta Institute of Music, but towards the towards the time I was I was getting ready to graduate, mm-hmm. I got a call to do a showcase at this jazz spot called Acoustics Lounge. It's an old old um, venue that used to uh, they used to have downtown in Atlanta. It's not there anymore. No, nah, it's, it's gone. Right. It was a, it was like acoustics or something like that. Yeah. But uh, I got called to uh, feature on a show there uh, that a guy named Kevin Griffin was hosting. He's a keyboardist from Atlanta, jazz mm-hmm. keyboardist. Um, and he wanted me to play like two tracks that I had produced on my own. They were like they were like jazz fusion tracks. Um, and I I wanted to instead of playing the tracks, I wanted to put it get put together a band, a unit. So. I used to play in a band with uh, Clarence, the keyboardist in the Four Corners. Mm-hmm. I used to play in a band with his younger brother, Chris, who played bass. And uh, I asked Chris, I was like, do you think your brother would be down to do this show with us? So he gave me his contact number. I reached out to Clarence. Long story short, 
he agreed to do it. And then I got um, I got Ike's, the guitarist in the Four Corners. I got his number from Chris as well. Mm-hmm. Reached out to him. He agreed. So long story short, we did the show. And after the fact, they were they were pleased with what they heard yeah. from me. And um, I was I was at a point in my career too that I wanted to I was I was trying to create opportunities for myself mm-hmm. and put myself in front of people who were in the industry and successful. Right. To you know build relationships with those people so other opportunities could happen. Right. So after that situation, maybe. Two weeks later after the show, I get a call from Clarence, and I was in Best Buy, and I didn't hear my phone ring, but he left a voicemail. He was like, I listened to the voicemail. He was like, hey, what's up, J-Rod? We, um, we got a situation, and I was just calling to you know run a few things by you, see if you were interested or whatever. So I hit him back, and he was asking me to uh, if I was interested to be part of the Four Corners desk. They needed a drummer at the time. Yeah, I was like, yeah, man, I'll do it. So, what happened after that is he sent me like two tracks to uh, learn that they of their originals. Yeah. And the following week, I met with them on Monday for rehearsal, and it's been up up ever since, man. Right. Yeah. Right. Just a yeah journey from there. Wow. Okay. So, you know, we talk all the time about like how to create opportunities for yourself and mm-hmm. how to you know put yourself in the right position or whatever. And right. So you you're you're talking about you kind of sought out people that were doing what you wanted to do and rather than hope they brought you in on their thing, mm-hmm. you had your own little thing at right. that time that you could bring them in on exactly to get yourself on their radar. Exactly. Yeah. And not knowing I'm going in it like expecting to know because they didn't really know who I was. Right. And they just I I thought that they just saw me as like, you know, some like a young musician upcoming, so they weren't really interested. But they ended up saying no. I mean, they ended up saying yes because of my relationship with Clarence's younger brother. Gotcha. So they were like, "Yeah, we'll do it. You know, we'll help you out since you rock with my little brother. We'll help right, you out." Right. Right. But after that, it became more. You know, I, I got closer with them. I ended up in their band. Yeah. Not even expecting that. Right. And that's the thing, like. <sighs> If if you have something going on, if you have a little gig or a session or something that mm-hmm. you can bring other people in on, like most musicians, no, almost no matter what level they're at, I've mm-hmm. found, will be at least willing to talk with you. And right. if you know if they can't do or don't want to do mm-hmm. what you're trying to put together, mm-hmm. they're not going to be a dick about it. They're not, you know, right. politely decline. But a lot of them will be down like if they yeah. have if they have the time if what you're doing sounds cool and especially like you said if if someone else can kind of vouch for you right you know a lot of people i think are, are just willing to try something at least once yeah right? at least <laughs> once until you know you prove to them that you know it's not something that they want to be a part of right yeah right. but i think the worst thing is worst thing anybody can say is no yeah. Or just not reply at all. Right. So, I mean, sometimes we just have to take those those opportunities, or those chances, those risks. Yeah. And just, you know, just step out on a limb and go for it. Right. Yeah. And even even if they do say no, that, that gets you on their radar. Exactly. M- maybe not as solidly as if they actually, you know, said yes. Exactly. <laughs> but if they say no, then you keep working on your shit. You come back around. Yep. You cross paths again and they're like, oh, yeah, I remember. Yep. Yeah. And then maybe eventually they want to reach out to you. Right. Yeah. Right. So. right. So what is uh, the Four Corners gigging life 
The like, gigging life? Yeah. Um, There's a lot of international stuff, right? It's a lot of, it's a, well, I'll say a few, a few situations. Like our thing is, or has been, we'll do like a two week run and then we come back home and it's kind of, shows kind of here and there. Right. Like spot day, it's a lot of spot day stuff. But when we do go to the, um, do international runs and stuff like that, it's, I mean, it's it's amazing. Yeah, doing jazz uh, festivals and jazz festivals, master classes and stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's amazing, especially overseas because they they just appreciate they appreciate music in general. Yeah, like no matter the skill level or uh, the genre, they're just hungry for it. I was talking with Q last night, and he just got back from Amsterdam. Yeah, with Avery Sunshine, it was his first time in Amsterdam, and he mm-hmm. was just blown away by like. The generousness of the audience, like right. European audiences, and I think in other parts of the world, like they show up yeah. for live music in more ways than one. They yeah. pa- they pack the room and they give you like their full attention and full appreciation. Yeah, man, um, they do. And I mean, they as far as like just purchasing merch and everything else too, man. They they're like, I want this. I want something I can keep and hold on right, to. Right, right. We're like we're gonna before. talk about your merchandising too. You know? Cool. Hey, let's do it. <laughs> you, got, you got everything but lunch boxes going. On. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Um, so the the music of the Four Corners mm-hmm. is bonkers. <laughs> like yeah. it's, I mean, this is this is complex fusion nastiness. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so where did where did that come from? I mean, obviously, with with Origins as a backing band, mm-hmm. that you know probably wasn't part of their bag. So was right. was the Four Corners project kind of the band just trying to <laughs> break out of the supportive role and just get uh... um i think well like i said earlier i wasn't a part of when they started right, but right. to my knowledge um that when they were a band that when they formed a band they, they met in church i believe mm-hmm. but clarence he he was influenced by chick Corea. okay chick Corea electric band yeah yeah and to my understanding he introduced that to the other guys Got it. So from that day forward, they just, you know, use the Chick Corea Electric Band as an influence and try to come up with something um, along those lines because they were inspired by what they heard. Yeah. So I think that's where that's where the, the band formed. Yeah. But even before that, they were still they were playing for different artists as well. So that was like their main thing. But when they got home and as far as like being creative. Right. It was that. It was that outlet. Yeah, that makes sense. Cause like now, now that you mentioned that, it like the Four Corners really is uh, that kind of flavor of fusion, right? Uh, you know, taken taken up a, a notch or two in nastiness. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it, man. But yeah, that's that's where they that's where they that's where they got their start. Yeah, cool. Um, how many how many original songs or tunes are in? Their, your portfolio. Uh, you mean the Four Corners? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's we have we have several. I mean, we probably have like three, three albums now that we like of music that we haven't released. Right. That um, you haven't released. That we haven't released. <laughs> just from just from different ideas, like from from all of us, because we the the creative process how it happens is we'll like I, I could be I could be at home and just practicing and I hear an idea whether it's a melody line or a groove and I'll record a voice memo or record a clip on Logic and just bring it to the band um the next the following rehearsal day, which is Mondays. We rehearse every Monday. Okay. But um I'll bring it I'll bring the idea to the band and then 
we just build off of that one idea mm-hmm. or modify certain things. Um, you know, just keep, I mean, we're all experts at our own and at, at our own instruments. So um, if Clarence has a drum idea, he'll he'll give me the drum idea that he had a groove idea, and I may change it slightly right. to make it better, and you know, vice versa. Yeah, yeah. So that's normally how we create music yeah in rehearsal and is it is it do you write charts or do you no ev- no <laughs> <laughs> none we of this don't. has charts none of well it does now because we okay. i mean we have a we have a, a, a online based website uh-huh. that um that we have all of our transcriptions and uh play alongs to right. from our from our previous out al- well last album uh port of gold gotcha um but in the creative process, no, no one, no one writes it. That's nuts. We just play literally like we play everything by ear in rehearsal. <sighs> I was yeah, I was listening create. to some of this music and just like from the drum chair perspective, I was like, would it be more of a nightmare to <laughs> to learn this by ear or to read a chart? Like I don't know which one would be yeah, harder. I mean, I, I'll be honest, man. Like even the songs that we have uh, transcriptions to now, I've. I, I I haven't even like sat down and even try to read this. Though. Yeah, because I mean it's look, I can, but it's it's definitely um it's a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. lot of it's a lot to just look at on the on the sheet it's, of music. Yeah, it's a lot of notes, a lot of hits, <laughs> it's a lot of notes. Yeah, yeah. So so on that tip, like we we talk a lot about particularly when it comes to jazz, mm-hmm. um, you know, writing the writing the line between playing what you want to play, you mm-hmm. know, getting getting your rocks off, whatever, mm-hmm. but making your music accessible mm-hmm. to the average listener or to the non-musician or to the non-jazz fan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, different different artists and musicians, you know, may tack heavier to one of those or the other. Mm-hmm. But is that a calculation that, that you guys make? Uh, Yes. And I think it just depends on the crowd yeah. that we're playing in front of and the, the venue. Uh-huh. Um, just depending on like the situation that we're in, we'll definitely choose some of our less intense songs to play. Yeah. If it's like a crowd where it just may go over their head. Right. Because we have, we have songs as well that's like with funk Mm -hmm. and just more groove oriented. Right. So just depending on the situation, the crowd, the venue, we'll choose, we'll cater, we'll try to cater to that, to that audience. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, try to, try to connect with them. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I guess I'm, I'm more familiar with the, the complex stuff. Right, right, <laughs> like yeah. that's most of what I've seen online. Yeah. But it's, it's cool to hear that you have like kind of a, a folder of like, you know, easier. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> easier stuff. Definitely. Easier and, to play, easier to listen to. Yeah. Um, just kind of easier to digest for, right. for everybody. And I mean, we also have a few uh, ballads as well. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it's like we we like to call we like to call our music journey music. Huh. And the reason is because we feel like the music that we play takes the listener on a journey. Yeah. Instead of just a bunch of like random, you know, <laughs> right. crazy crazy child's crazy notes and stuff right. like that. But that's why we you know, we like to we like to call it journey music rather than Jazz fusion, even though jazz fusion is the foundation and the the influence, yeah, you know. But I think that was a calculation of Weather Report too, yeah, because like they they had some shit that was out, right, totally bonkers. <laughs> yeah. But they also had a couple of beautiful ballads, right, you know. Um, so uh, you know they packed out ten thousand, fifteen thousand seat arenas, exactly. 
drumming perspective, mm-hmm. uh, I I was blown away. I, I think I've only seen you play live one time. Yeah, and and it blew me away <laughs> um, because first of all, the the night I saw you play, a, a few different drummers played that kit, right? right. Um, and you got the best purest sounds and tones out of that kit out of anybody who played and what impressed me even more about that was that you you, like you were the i would say you were the notiest drummer that night Mm -hmm. right but the tones you got out of the kit and the the rhythmic precision Mm -hmm. that you were able to execute um I'm I'm not usually a fan of super noty drumming. Right. But your tone was so clear, your ideas were so clear mm-hmm. that that I I loved it. Thank you, man. I appreciate <laughs> so, it. So, how did how did you I mean, you're like you're obviously have roots in in the church, in the gospel world, right? right? Um I talked with Lewis Newsom about, you know, how he um kind of consciously separated himself from other drummers right. who have the same background. Mm-hmm. And it seems like you've done the same thing with like what I was mentioning, just the touch, the tone, the rhythmic clarity. It's not just a machine gun of notes right. coming at you. Right. There are rhythmic phrases like all of these all of these tiny little notes are outlining really clear rhythmic phrases right. that I think other drummers try to do the same thing mm-hmm. but not as well and super loud. <laughs> Yep. Yep. Um, so is this, is this just your natural touch or did you have to like, was this a conscious decision? Like, like what Lewis did, how I'm going to separate myself from other drummers with my similar background. Yes, it was a conscious uh, decision because, um, when I, when I joined the four corners, Clarence, he's, he's, he started out on drums, Mm -hmm. uh, the keyboardist. So when I first joined, I was, I played everything loud. Like I had no, I barely even knew what dynamics was or understand it. <laughs> right. Uh, so he, he, he mentioned to me like when I first joined them that my snare hand was super loud, mm-hmm. and that you know during certain parts of the music I needed to pay attention to my dynamics and like lower the volume. Mm-hmm. So that's when that that day is when I decided to okay like I need I need to really I need to really work on this my dynamics around the kit in general not just my snare drum mm-hmm. and he also like kind of helped me and coached me like yo listen to listen to people like uh, Dave Weckl pay attention to the way he uses his dynamics in certain parts of the song mm-hmm. and pay attention to how it makes the the music feel in that in that moment and stuff like that as you're saying that I'm realizing like Dave Weckl is he's not a super heavy player he's not like. I mean, Vinny Caliuta is a heavy player, right? You know, but like talking about the like that generation of fusion drummers, like yeah. Weckl is is pretty loose, like yeah. nice touch, just never never gets above a an eight, right? <laughs> yeah, real talk. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you still, but you still feel yes what he's playing. Yeah, totally. You still feel it, and um, but yeah, that's that was that was my thing at the, at that at that time. He was just like, yo, pay really work on your dy- dynamics. What you're doing is it sounds great, but even if you paid attention to your dynamics and you know just learn the importance of it, that can make your playing that much better yeah. and set you apart from the rest. Right. You know, just creating creating those hills and valleys yeah, yeah. during your solos and just building the solos. That's another thing he kind of helped me on as well. Is like 
yo, at the beginning of your solo, try to try to build your solo, take your time. Yeah. And not really just come out the gate just blazing. <laughs> right. Just kind of kind of take time and tell a story. Just build build your solos because that's going to get people interested. That's going to make them wonder what's going to happen next, mm-hmm. and not just ripping people's heads off with chops. Right. So I definitely think. I definitely think uh, Clarence, he, he's been a big help with that over the years. And uh, just also, just my influences listening to Dave Weck with Chick Career Electric Band and stuff like that. Right. That's really, that, that created a, a new approach for me. Because like I said, I grew up on, I grew up in the church, of course, playing yeah. gospel and, and R&E music. Right. So that was really, that's really all I knew. Um and when I joined Four Corners, that's that's really when I was introduced to the jazz fusion stuff. Right. And I think that's when my playing started to evolve. And that's how I developed my own sound, just fusing those two sides together. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cool. You, you uh, It's funny. You, you use the analogy of ripping people's heads off because yeah. it, immediately I thought, like, you don't rip people's heads off. You slit their throats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. You know? Yeah. Like, I was, I was watching you play and there were a few fills a few phrases a few like solo passages where like you know a a really clear rhythmic or melodic idea Mm -hmm. like hit me yeah right i was like oh that was that was a cool idea i heard that and Mm -hmm. then like right after it i was like man there were a shitload of notes that just went by (laughs) (laughs) yo man you know my throat is slit and i didn't even know it right you know but that that's what i that's what i'm trying to say is what's so impressive about your drumming is that mm-hmm. uh like the lay listener hears these phrases these ideas right and the the drummer or the you know the more um informed listener actually sees like all the notes and all the coordination yeah. that went into that bigger simpler idea right um so yeah it's it's really cool how you've kind of fused those two um those two concepts um so how did you go about like bringing your dynamics down, finding that touch where there's specific techniques, specific books, specific uh, sort of courses, um, courses of study that you put yourself through. Yes, uh, there's a book that I got from Atlanta Institute of Music called Advanced Techniques for the Modern Drummer. Yeah, uh, Chapin. Yep, yeah, Jim yeah. Chapin. And um, for me, the way I use it is when I'm going through those exercises, I try to. I try to maintain the same uh, low dynamics, mm-hmm. but increasing the speed. Because normally for me, when I try to, when I play faster, I tend to get louder. Mm-hmm. So it's harder for me to play that same, you know, increase the tempo, but maintain that that low volume too, right. without right. losing the feel. Yeah. So that's that's the way I use that book, and I feel like that's helped me a lot as far as like just gaining control over my my. My limbs in general, mm-hmm. and especially my left hand. Um, so yeah, that book, and then also too, um, just going back through old old footage of myself mm. and just listening, listening and observing, uh, you know what I what I've played in the past in, in different shows and uh, rehearsal footage and stuff like that, and just listening to how what I played if it if it was good or if it was bad, if it sounded too loud in that moment, or you know, if it needed to be a little bit louder and just going back, going back to the practice room and just, you know, working on that section. Yeah. So just, yeah, just pretty much that, uh, the book and then just doing that, just critiquing myself, going back and listening to myself. Yeah. 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 That's pretty much how, how I've worked on that. The dynamics. The, the, 
the concept of dynamics really gets short shrift. Like everybody talks about it, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are good at it. Right. But uh, I'll include myself in this group. I don't think many people really practice it. No, I know, I know, I didn't. You know, honestly, they, until it was brought to my attention. Like they buckle down when they have to. Like if they're on a jazz gig and yeah. they have to like really find that, you know, then they'll do that. But as far as like really sitting down and working on it, yeah, um, I don't, I don't think it gets as much attention as you know independence or speed or right. styles or right. you know, like to be able to play a style authentically is one thing to be able to play it super quiet is is a whole different thing it is and to be able to play it super loud i think i'm kind of the opposite of you where like Mm -hmm. you started huge and you had to bring yourself down yeah my background is in jazz so i i started like quiet and over the years i've had to find more muscle and more um you know more volume for for certain gigs right um there was an exercise i forgot I forgot who was talking about it, but there's there's something you can do that's basically practicing dynamic independence mm-hmm. rather than rhythmic independence, and I haven't oh. tried it yet. I need to do it. But like you basically just get you get a four-way beat going of any sort yeah. and and just like send dynamics around your different limbs. Oh, like don't okay. change the pattern, yeah. but like make your right, like, you know, decrescendo your right hand while you crescendo your left hand oh, or do the a, same thing with your feet. Like That's a good, that sounds like a nice exercise. I know, it sounds, to, it sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of this for that one. Yeah. Um, so Atlanta Institute of Music mm-hmm. has been around for... A while, right? Yeah, like decades. Yeah, um, and it's it's kind of in the model of a Berkeley or a Musicians Institute in LA. It's right. it's I think of it as like a vocational school, right. for music. Um, so I know a lot of musicians who have been through there, and I know a lot of people who teach there. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your experience there? Oh, it was great, man. Um, they definitely gave me or provided all of the information that I needed as far as um teaching myself how to get better mm-hmm. and learning learning how to learning how to practice basically right before going i didn't really well i didn't know how to read music at all really huh. i played pretty much everything by ear yeah so when i went there that was that was the reason for me going there cuz i knew that was a that was a thing that i wasn't sure if i would need in going forward in my career, mm-hmm. but I knew that's something that was a, that was a weakness of mine. Right. So that's what that's the that's the main reason why I wanted to go there, and then also, of course, get better and learn, gain more knowledge about what I was already doing. Right. So, but I, I definitely think Atlanta Institute of Music was very beneficial for me um, in playing, and then you know the, the technical side as well. Right. Um, so did did your did the fact that you didn't read yet mm-hmm. uh, prevent you from going to like a state school with a music program, a four year college, and is that is that one of the reasons you ended up at AIM? No. Well, the reason the reason I went to AIM is because I didn't want to I didn't want to be in school for that long mm-hmm. because I really wanted to focus on my career. Right, right. So I knew if I you know if I did that, I would gain the. I, did, I knew I knew going in I wouldn't be able to like retain everything uh-huh. in one year. Yeah. But I knew I would have everything going forward after that one year was up to really dive in and teach myself. And it was a one year program. It was a one year program back Ooh. then. Yeah, yeah. I think it's um I'm not exactly sure now. I want to say they changed it to a two year. Okay. Two year school now. Maybe they have both. 
Yeah, they. I like, think. I think they may. You might do like a performance certificate, and a, maybe they offer an associate's degree now. Right. That, yeah, associates. Okay. I, I think. I'm not exactly sure, but uh, when I went, it was just one year program. Yeah. And that's. Um, yeah, I wanted. To, I wanted to do that. So when I got out, you know, I would be able to really because I still wanted to focus on my career. Right. And you wanted to get to it. I wanted to get to it. Right. Because I wanted to get out there. I wanted to, you know, do the network and build those relationships. But you knew you gigs. needed an ass kicking. Yeah. I knew it, <laughs> I knew it man. Because the, the one thing I didn't want is I didn't want to be put in a situation where I didn't have a clue. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I didn't have, I just didn't have the knowledge to, um, you know, do the, fulfill the job and do what I needed to do. Right. So I wanted to be prepared for every, every situation I was put in. Yeah. Yeah, so, so that's why I went. Who'd you who'd you study drums with there? A uh, couple guys. It was Tom Knight. Oh yeah, and uh, Craig Harbor. Yeah, and Eric Sanders. Yeah, Eric Sanders yep. and Craig are still there. Yep. Um, yeah, and Tom Knight. God, what a monster he is, man. Tom he doesn't really monster. play around anymore. Like, he, nah, he's doing the voiceover stuff. Yeah, yeah and some acting. And, yeah, yeah. But he was like, he was like Atlanta's Weckle. Yeah, man. Isn't he? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think they're really good, really good friends. Yeah, as well. I should, I should talk to him. Yeah, man. Tom's a Tom's a beast, man. Yeah. So, um, what, like, what did those guys put you through, um, just from a playing perspective? Mm-hmm. Like what did they did they see you play and they were like okay you got to work <laughs> on this this and that um well we had they they all taught well they all taught us different uh, they taught different things different classes mm-hmm. so Craig I believe was like uh, he was reading and charting that side mm-hmm. Eric was uh, teaching like Latin stuff and then Tom was like our jazz performance so I was getting different things from each 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 instructor mm-hmm. so do you have a lesson with each one of these guys every week or there were some group classes yes we, well they were both so we had private lessons that, that we would alternate yeah so one week we may i may have eric as a teacher or instructor and then the following week i may have tom right. as a private instructor and then craig the following week you know yeah, so yeah. it would it would uh alternate but um definitely between all three of them they really, I, I found stuff that I needed to improve on. Yeah. And just learn more about, especially like the jazz side, because that's before that's before the four corners, like I was saying. Right. And that was something that was something new to me. Yeah. I came from R and B and gospel background. Mm-hmm. So when I was in the jazz performance class, we learned uh, traditional grill playing mm-hmm. behind the kit, though. Yeah. Even though I did marching band, still it's a little bit, it's a little bit different. Uh, I mean, it's the same grip, but. I guess the playing a kid and playing a snare drum is two different things. Yeah. So, yeah, it was definitely I definitely learned a lot from all three of them that I still use to the stuff that I still use today. Yeah. And you know the real, real world. It's an interesting concept of like kind of rotating teachers every yeah. week. Because on on the one hand, it seems like it would hard to be it would be hard to get continuity from yeah. from week to week about if you're working on a project or working on a certain style or a certain concept or whatever. Right. But at the same time, if you're kind of bouncing around every week and like one guy kicks your ass one week and a different <laughs> guy punches you in the face the next week, yeah. And then <laughs> the third guy kneecaps you right. in the third week. Then after a year, you come away with I would imagine a huge stack of concepts. Exactly. That you haven't necessarily mastered yet right but that you've been made aware of like yep. take this shit go work on it exactly so they're not going to hold your hand through the whole year they're just going to be like 
in one week it's like here's the thing go work on it yeah that, I mean that's how it was and yeah. I mean in a year's time it's a lot to yeah. really, you can't retain all that stuff right but so but like I was saying they give you everything you need to go forward and mm-hmm. practice and know how to practice yeah so that's what I had to do like after after graduating school I had to like go back through all of that stuff yeah and just really focus on like okay how can I take this and apply it to what I already do how can I apply it going forward? Mm-hmm. Like um, the thing that the thing that I found most beneficial that I that I learned from Atlanta Institute of Music is uh, scratch charting, mm-hmm. and that's what I use pretty much for everything. Everything outside of four corners that I get called for, yeah, I always chart the music and just by been, hand, just by hand, yeah, yeah. And that's been that's been very very beneficial for me going forward just being able to even if I don't use the charts on the actual gig yeah. just learning the music and yep. like seeing it on paper yep. that really helps me to retain the music and know it and just get it internalize it right so and it, you it get helps. like a mental picture of it like yeah. even if you're not looking at the chart right. you kind of associate you know a certain part of the song like I do anyway with yeah. like literally a mental picture of what I wrote yeah. in the chart exactly um, and that's the that's the one thing that I find myself using the most um, from Atlanta Institute of Music is that the scratch charting. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah, definitely appreciate that. You mentioned practicing, like and and how to practice. Like one of the things you learned was how to practice. Mm-hmm. How do you practice? So, if I, most of the time now I'm actually just learning music. <laughs> I think that goes for most of us. Like we've yeah. talked about that on on the podcast a lot. How most of our practice time is just devoted to like getting up to speed for the next gig yeah um, it, i mean it's learning music and aside, but aside from that for me it's um like recording and working on like playing drums or someone's arrangements or something like that for a show mm-hmm. but aside from that when i'm not busy and just like have time to focus on my myself in my own personal practice mm-hmm. i try to i try to like I was, I was saying earlier like look back at it other footage or try to remember some points in the previous show that made me feel uncomfortable. Uh-huh. And I take those and work on those, like the weaknesses. Right. So if it, if it was a point in the song or during the show that I didn't feel comfortable or didn't feel as confident, that's what I work on mm-hmm. first. Um, and But also uh, working on, of course, like speed and uh, just perfecting my technique and stuff like that but normally before i start any any practice session or whatever with myself i i'll go through those uh a few books mm-hmm. that i have from atlanta institute of music like the advanced techniques of the modern yeah. drummer uh new breed uh-huh. i go through that just to get my ne- my limbs warmed up stuff like that but um for the most part though i go through those warm-ups and then just focus on Okay, how can I be productive? What do I need to? How how can I get better today? Right, and just really work on those those weaknesses. Yeah, because I know I know what I used to do, and I know a lot of drummers still do this. We just sit down behind the kit and just work on the stuff that, well, just shed and just play the stuff we already good at. Right, instead of focusing on the weaknesses. Right, and just you know thinking outside of the box and expanding our vocabulary or playing yeah. ability. Yeah, so yeah. that's 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 how I practice. I like the idea of kind of some some stuff you can just turn to for maintenance. Right. Right. To just keep your shit kind of loose and good and strong. Yeah. And uh, my wife and I were talking about this the other day. Like, I, I'm starting to do that. Like, Marlon Patton got me into uh, the rudimental ritual. Mm-hmm. So I'm working on that. Um, 
and I, I like I have this I have this weird blockage with practicing where like I'll I'll go in and I'll be like okay I can work on something super hard that's really going to stretch me that's really going to challenge me mm-hmm. but I'm not really feeling up to that right now okay yeah. so I could I could like play along with some tracks or work on some groove stuff or just like just play a little bit but then yeah. my mind is like yeah but that's half ass practicing <laughs> why do you want to do it? so I don't end up doing anything right yeah and I'm like it's I'm just asking you about this cuz it's at the forefront of my mind right. you know just in terms of my own kind of routine um so I'm I'm trying to like on the one hand create a maintenance routine right. with the rudimental ritual or whatever else right and um on the other hand uh just like spend more time on the kit like even if i don't you know even if i am feeling kind of lazy and yeah. don't feel like challenging myself a whole lot right spending some time on the fucking kit yeah just playing yeah it's <laughs> never mean, I, a bad thing it's never a bad thing and i mean i don't always i don't always do that right the practice method because yeah. some days i don't feel like really focusing on that stuff and yeah. i just sit behind the kit and play but mm-hmm. that's still better than not doing anything sure and it still keep i feel like it still keeps you polished yes from, and not get that's racket. that's the thing you're polished you're ready to go you're yeah. comfortable I, and i've been finding on some gigs like you know some some days or some situations where I sit down behind the kit, I'm more comfortable than others. Right. Right. Whether it's a backline kit or, you know, just some like if you haven't played in a minute and right. then you're on the gig and you're like, oh, shit, like wake up the hands and get your yeah. brain working and whatever. But that that daily maintenance, you know, whether it's challenging yourself or just spending a little time on the kit. Right. I think I hope will result in feeling more comfortable behind the kit more of the time. Right. I, I believe so. And then also, too, another thing that I, that I realized about myself just this year is, you know how, like, when you have your kit set up at home and then you go to another venue or something like that, it mm-hmm. feels totally different. Right. So <clears throat> not knowing not knowing that I was going to learn this, but I signed up for a month with Dave Welker School, online school. Oh, wow. And he has he has uh, content in there talking about setup and the importance of have, being comfortable behind the kit. Mm-hmm. So I watched the, I watched um, those videos that he had in there, and he basically went through, you know, how to how to set up your kit to where you're comfortable and making sure everything is in its natural reach, mm-hmm. so that when you sit behind the kit, you don't really have to like over overextend your your limbs in order to reach yeah uh certain drums or certain parts of the drums behind yeah. when you're sitting behind the kit so just making sure that you're staying at home but when i did that it made me feel so much more comfortable behind the kit uh-huh. when i really just focused on myself and that's something that i never really paid attention to mm-hmm. like the, the first thing that i do when i usually go to a venue is just you know just maybe adjust the, the height of the snare or you know, the height of the hi-hat and stuff like that. Just simple stuff. Not really taking it piece by piece and really focusing on it. Right. And just kind of just, okay, I'm going to deal with this and, you know, it's going to be what it is. Right. But re- after I started, like, really focusing on, like, how I have my drum set up, just starting with the kick drum and the throne snare hi-hat and just going piece by piece, just building it. Mm-hmm. It made everything so much easier. So now I know I kind of have an idea of going into another situation, like another venue or sitting behind another kit. Like if something's not feel, if, if something doesn't feel right or I don't feel at home, I know exactly what to do right there. Right. And I think we're we're told, or maybe we tell ourselves that like we should just be able to deal. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Like be a pro, 
deliver, yeah, overcome adversity, right? Like, you know, and and to an extent that's true, but I think like we <laughs> we take it too far, yeah. And and I, like I've been guilty of the exact same thing. You sit mm-hmm. down at a kit, you adjust the snare, you get the hi hat kind of in the ballpark, yeah. And the rest of it is like, ah, oh, it's it's close enough, yeah. I I'm, can I can deal, right? I'm a pro, right? I yeah. can deliver. Not as real. And we don't do ourselves the favor of just like taking the extra time to get everything not yeah. just the snare and the hi-hat right. just get everything where you want it exactly and i know sometimes we may not have time to right because i know when you, you know it's a situation like change over time is like five minutes right you really don't have time to adjust anything except for the hi-hat and the snare and the drums and the drum throne right so some situations you really have to i mean you definitely have to deal with it so mm-hmm. I, but i think it's definitely I'll say it's good to know how to do both. It's good to know how to or what to adjust when you need to adjust it and you have the time to. Yeah. But it's also good to be able to deal with what you have right. and be able to still execute what you're trying to play on, play totally. on any kit. Totally. But e- like even when you're rushed, you know, if if you take if you take ten extra seconds. Yeah. To adjust the ride symbol. Yeah. <laughs> like, unless yeah. you're on live TV or some shit right. where it's got to be like it really is right. <laughs> a deadline. You know, if everybody's at a festival and people are standing around and like, you know, it, just like take 10 more seconds. 10 more seconds. <laughs> That's all it takes. Yeah. You yeah. feel much better. Got Pocket. So I started Got Pocket back in 2017. Mm-hmm. And how it happened was I had a guy that made a comment on a post on Facebook on one of my one of my posts. I can't remember what it was, but he was asking if I had merch. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, I don't. But I have, you know, I have a band and they have merch. You can go get it here or whatever. So they just got me to, uh, you know, thinking about thinking about putting out some kind of some kind of merch that uh people could could purchase and they could have just represent that represents me mm-hmm. um so before god pocket i put out a i put out a shirt and it, it read uh create the climax for me it meant when you solo i feel like you should build build your solos to the to the peak mm-hmm. just to get people interested and get them involved tell a story basically bring them along bring them along so that's what that that's what that uh slogan meant for me um, it did well for a minute and then it kind of fell off. Mm-hmm. So after it fell off, I got, you know, I, I was being creative again, just trying to think of something that, you know, we as musicians use on a daily basis and that musicians can relate to just a slogan. So I thought about God pocket mm-hmm. and I went out, I started that and it's been doing very well since 2017. Just, um, you know, get pushing a message, and it, we're all you know musicians. We all can relate to that, right? Uh, having pocket, we all say that you know that's what gets you gigs. Yeah, and I believe that's I believe that's true. Uh, for me, pocket is being able to play what's necessary for the music. Yeah, and enhance the music and complement the music, whatever that genre is, whether it's metal, whether it's funk, 
right. whatever you're playing, just playing your part in that in that music in that band and complimenting music. Mm-hmm. That's what I believe it is. So, but Got Pocket is a uh, it's a clothing line that started in 2017, and um, yeah, it's been it's been doing very well. So you started with t-shirts. Started with t-shirts, and now you got like hoodies, hats. There's are there pants? Uh no. Okay. But that's that's coming, that's coming. <laughs> eventually. Yeah. So we have we have t shirts, hoodies, um, dad caps, beanies, uh, sweatshirts, wristbands, and yeah, I think that's yeah, that's it for now. Yeah. But definitely a lot more a lot more coming. Sound check attire. Sound check attire. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Backpacks and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. Yeah, it's coming. So like is that I mean that's basically your side hustle, right? Oh, uh, that's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So I mean, that's definitely uh, that's definitely one of them. Uh, I guess a source of income, but uh, I also program and arrange music. Mm-hmm. So aside from performing, I feel like performing and arranging music. That's that's the that's the next thing for me. Because mm-hmm. um, like when I'm at home, I'll I'll program different shows and arrange shows for different artists. Um, and I feel like that's been very beneficial for me. Um, and it didn't really start out as a it didn't really start out as a source of income. I was just doing it for fun. Right. And I had an I had an artist reach out to me and just ask me, you know, yo, do you do you do do you program? Do you arrange? Just from seeing the arrangement I did for fun on YouTube. Uh-huh. And I took that opportunity to just dive into that. Yeah. That was like my first situation. And then from that day forward, it's just been I just been getting a lot more opportunities for it's, that. It's funny that I mean that sounds like exactly the story you told about God Pocket. Like somebody yeah. somebody approached you and was like, "Hey, do you do X?" And right, you exactly. Were like, well, no, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's how that's how I started. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a good it's a good mentality to to be in, and and you can apply that to like, uh, just gigging life, right? right? Like, have you ever played X kind of gig? Yep. And you can either say like. No, but yeah, let me try. Or yeah. you can just lie through your teeth and say, "Hell yeah!" I mean, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> like actors, you know, they get they get uh, uh, offers for auditions or movies or whatever, and it's like, "Do you do you speak French?" Right. It's, sure, I speak French. <laughs> Absolutely. And they love it. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite uncle is French. Right. Um, but I think there's I think there's also too, man. It's a uh, it's a good thing for me because that. It kind of makes me get out of my comfort zone. Yeah. Even when I think that I I can't do it, you know, when the opportunity comes, it's like okay, I'm either gonna I'm either gonna take this opportunity to grow, mm-hmm. or just you know just stay in my comfort zone. Yeah. So if I think it's something that I can do, then I, I'll go for it. But if it's something I know I can't do, like someone asks me, do I speak French? I know I, I know I can't do that by like next week. Or right. Something. Yeah. No way. But it's certain situations though that I'll you know I'll, I'll look at and. Be like, yo, I, I can do this. Mm-hmm. You know, I can if I put the time in and just prepare myself, I, I can do it. Yeah, yeah. Comfort zone is is an interesting thing because like a lot of a lot of times we refer to it in the context of like my my comfort zone is X and I can keep doing X mm-hmm. uh, or I can push my myself out of my comfort zone and do Y. Mm-hmm. Um, but f- I think just as often our our comfort zone may be like activity versus inactivity. Yeah. Right. Right. And and like to so sometimes you're in a you're in a mindset where pushing yourself out of your comfort zone means doing something. Yeah. Right. <laughs> As opposed to just nothing and kind of coasting and and 
uh, it's like you know practicing versus not practicing. Right. Like my comfort zone is is watching MSNBC. Yeah. On the couch. Right. With a beer. Right. Pushing myself out of my comfort zone is going to do the See, ritual. Kid, yeah. Um, so that again, it's in the front of my mind. It's like I'm 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 having to kind of take stock of myself. Right. Right now. Have. And I say that to to say that it doesn't seem like you struggle with that. It doesn't seem like you struggle with activity versus inactivity. It's yeah. either going to be like the activity I'm doing or something new, but I'm going. Right. And that's that's actually been the issue for me. Yeah. Because I'm having, <clears throat> I, I've been, I've really been focusing on like just main, well, keeping a good balance between work <laughs> and just, you know, being able to live life and chill. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because... I mean, I'm involved in a lot, like performing, programming, arranging, the closing line. It's just a lot. So, you know, just maintaining a good balance is what I'm working on now. So I, I don't really have an issue um, with inactivity. Right. So, so I'm trying, but I'm trying to like, yo, I need to chill and rest. You right. Know what I'm saying? So you're the opposite of me. Like pushing yourself out of your comfort zone means doing nothing. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. That's like real talk. Like even even when I go on vacation, like I always find myself trying to do something like respond to emails or right. practice on the practice pad, something. Yeah. Because if I'm like just sitting still, I don't I don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the, I mean it's an issue. It's an issue for me. So that's what I'm that's what I'm working on. Just like okay, you know I need to spend like I need to wake up in the morning. I need to work from okay ten till six. After six, I need to I need to chill. Yeah, I need to go to bed at this time, right? So I can be refreshed for the next day. Yeah. So that, but that's been that's been an issue for me. Man, I'm working on it. God, I wish I had that problem. <laughs> I look forward to being bored. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, man. It's a it's an issue, bro. Yeah. Because I mean, it's like for me, it's like things just become a blur sometimes because yeah. I'm just go go go. Right, right. So it's like when I really I don't even realize I'm tired until I like. Lay down, and then I I realize that I'm yo I'm tired. I need to rest. Right, you're you're one of those people that's just go 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 and yeah. done done. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, man. I I like the I like the ritual of just kind of the wind down. Yeah, you know? and and a lot of times I'll start the wind down like way too early. How does that? Oh man. Um. So what do you do for fun? For fun. Um. I mean, aside from being involved in music. Uh, I like to I like to go to different shows. I like to go to shows, right? And just watch yeah, yeah. from the crowd. Um, that I've I've found that especially in my time in Atlanta, like that's that's been so good for me. Yeah, to to just like go see friends play, go see music, and, yeah. and without an angle, right? You know, without without an agenda, just like go enjoy music as a music fan. Exactly, it's something my wife encouraged me to do when we moved here because when we lived in L.A., she saw me like go out with an agenda like right. i'm gonna go see so-and-so i'm gonna get this guy's number i'm gonna give this guy my card i'm yep. gonna you know and she was just like just go see music yeah man. just go enjoy music yeah i know for me man it's just you know just taking a break from actually working right and just going to just going to observe and just listen it's been uh yeah it's, it's good for me and a good you know a good uh release mm-hmm. and just you know from from work right and just just to be able to chill but also uh aside from that just traveling Traveling to different places and just doing nothing. Yeah. Trying, trying to trying do to do nothing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just doing, just doing nothing to just you know, just uh, relax. What do you just, like traveling to? Like recently? Um, uh, 
Well, now I'm going to have to say Jakarta, man. Oh, man. <laughs> I've never been there. It's a, the experience was amazing, man, for me. Uh, well, for all of us, uh, the four, we went over there with the Four Corners. Right. And we had the uh, we had the opportunity to work with the artist over there. His name is uh his real name is Mark Sindoro, but he goes by the name of Junkie Monkey mm-hmm. as an artist. Um, but yeah, the experience over there, man, it was it was great, man. Like I said, the people they loved us. Um, they treated us like they treated us like celebrities over there. Yeah, it's totally it's totally different. But um, that is that whole experience was just great. Yeah. So I, I would definitely say Jakarta is probably the probably the spot that I would I would prefer to go to is just you know if I had to choose between all of them just the the social media game we've talked about it so much on this podcast it's a mystery to me it's it's a it's a source of frustration but also like addiction and (laughs) you know so you have 90,000 Instagram followers (laughs) how did you do that man so I started uh, I started on YouTube okay and YouTube that's right I read in your bio like you started on the ground floor with YouTube, right? Yeah. Like, you were in it early. Early, like, 06. And I think that's around the time it, it came out. Yeah. Or got popular. Um, so, I started from YouTube, just building from there. YouTube was, like, my... That was, like, my outlet. That's how I got... That's how I got noticed. Mm-hmm. Like, literally. Outside of church, YouTube was, like, my way into starting to gig outside of church. Because, mm-hmm. like, after I started uploading in 06, I got, a, I got connected with the guy uh, in my hometown... That, uh, what is your hometown? Cartersville. Georgia. Okay, yeah. Yep, that's my hometown. Right, right. So um, he reached out to me on well, MySpace. I think that was around yeah. the, around the same. That yeah, was a thing. MySpace. He uh, hit me up on MySpace. You're like, yo, I, I found I saw your video on uh, on YouTube, and I'm in Cartersville as well. I wanted to see if you wanted to do this uh, this show with me, this Valentine's mm-hmm. show with me or whatever. It was around Valentine's um, Day. Yeah. And uh, I did the gig. After that, met new people. It uh, snow snowball effect just happened. That's you know, crazy. More gigs after that. We've talked about how like your online presence, your social media presence, has become your your calling card, your demo reel, yeah. your audition tape. Like, yeah. And and I was under the impression that that has kind of become more the norm over the last five years, maybe. But this yeah. happened to you in '06. Well, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say that's what people went to right. in 06, like everybody, but that's just how it happened for me. That's how I got That's how I got noticed. Yeah. Just by uploading and really just going hard at that because I knew that was the only way I was going to get noticed and get out because I, I wasn't born into I wasn't born into a family of musicians. Mm-hmm. I'm the only musician in my family, so 
I knew I, I had to find a way to could connect with these people and get in front of these people. Right. So at the time, that was my only outlet outside of church. Yeah. Because even the church that I was going to, it wasn't the music department. It wasn't really, you know, it wasn't really people like, um, you know, you're playing in church and then you're touring and stuff outside of church. Right. It, it the musicians there weren't they weren't on that on that level. Mm-hmm. So YouTube was really the only. That was the only thing that I had at the time mm-hmm. outside of, uh, you know, just playing at church. So for me, it started on YouTube in 06. And then as the, the new social media networks and platforms started to come out, like MySpace, I would just post stuff from YouTube on MySpace. When Facebook became a thing. I would do the same thing, post videos on there, both, yeah. both platforms. But over time, as I continue to uh, perfect my craft and just... Um, Increase my quality, my video content quality, and uh-huh. photo quality, and everything else. Just stuff started to it just started to grow. Right. Um, it's still a mystery. Like it for me, I don't really have, I don't really have a solid, clear answer to give someone. Like, yo, you need to do this. You need to do this. All I can say is what worked for me. Right. Um, but and it, what worked for you had to do with with uh, consistency. Persistence, yeah. right? The quality of the video, right? Um, and the quality of the playing, obviously. Yeah, that, um, that definitely, yeah, that helps. <laughs> uh, but how do you? I mean, something that's not clear, I think, to a lot of people is mm-hmm. is how you leverage mm-hmm. a large social media following, right? Because with with that many followers, yeah, you post a video and and you know tens of thousands of people view it and like it right and and that gives you that like that's a payoff in and of itself yeah but it's not a tangible payoff right like with you know that doesn't pay any rent right so how over the years have you learned to leverage that large following into more than just likes and it doesn't have to be dollars but oh um, like what is what is the ultimate uh goal <laughs> right um for me what i usually do i just i just pay attention to the interact like the in- interaction with the people like what are they commenting on what are they complimenting on mm-hmm. what's something that they that inspires them from this video from this post and i take those things and into consideration and just moving forward i try to use those elements from from that post or from from what they said just going forward to continue to build and inspire them and you know just basically form like a um just like a a, a group a family on on social media and yeah. just interact with everybody right right um but that sounds like something you can do no matter how many followers you have yeah right if yeah you, if you if you have 800 followers and you post something you can kind of take note of what people are responding to, what's, right? What's get like what kind of reactions it's getting, right? Um, and that's the that's the beginning of that's the start of getting you know getting that huge following, right? Just you know interacting interacting with people and just letting you know, just basically showing them that you're you're a person, like, yeah. You're a person just like them. You can you can talk to me. I mean, I'm going to interact with you. Uh-huh. And just basically, you're basically building relationships with people online. That's so interesting you said that because I interviewed uh, Mark Cobb yeah. last week and we were talking about social media and how, um, you know, I, I said that building a, a huge social media following takes a certain skill set. 
Yeah. Right? And it's a valid skill set and, and all that, but it's a different skill set than running a music career out in the world. Yeah. But what I mean, what you just said was that there's a lot of overlap in terms of just creating relationships, yeah, being real with people, yep, um, and creating a community, yeah, community, yeah. Um, so, so, man, yeah, <sighs> that's I mean, I got, it's pretty much the same thing. Like, I got work to do on social media. <laughs> <laughs> and what you're talking about, like posting something, but then being disciplined about like, you know, how how uh, what kind of reaction it gets and how yeah. you're going to use that moving forward. Like, right. that's the kind of organization and discipline that I have not had on social media. Yeah. I'm like most people, I think. They're just like, fire shit out there. Right. And some of it, you know, gets some traction and some of it doesn't. And right. I'm too, not too busy necessarily, but just not uh, engaged enough to, like, really follow up on it. Yeah. And, really and I mean, it really just, and it just depends on what you're looking to do, too. I mean, some, some people do that. They just, you know, upload anything and, you know, that's what they want to do. Right. And that's their thing. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think for me, you know, what I want, what I can continue doing, what I want to continue to do is just building that community and just uh, building, like, online relationships with people, basically. Mm-hmm. It's, it doesn't have to be, like, you know, you call the person every day and stuff like that. You're just interacting with them and, you know, right. just letting letting them know you appreciate their support. Just small stuff like that. Yeah. Just people people that you, that see you as an inspiration. Sure. Yeah. And that's that's a worthy endeavor in itself. But, yeah. but have you found that, like, how do you take it a step beyond that mm-hmm. and leverage that community or, or not, a, you know, exploit is the wrong word. But right. how do you kind of utilize that platform for more tangible um, benefits in your uh, life I got and, you. and your career. Um, I mean, endorsements are obviously yeah. a huge thing with that. Right. Um, and that can lead to income. Right. Um, honestly, I, I don't really, aside from just focusing on building a community, for me, I just put it out there. Yeah, that's for And that's what, that's what just happens. Yeah. Um, now I would definitely say that what you I guess what you're trying to if you're trying to sell a service or sure a product it definitely has to be something that your fans or your community enjoys yeah and I feel like finding out what they will gravitate towards is the thing that will help that right so just knowing your knowing your community knowing uh you know what they like knowing what inspires them maybe that will help you to uh you know figure out what service you want to sell figure out what product you want to sell because mm-hmm. that's what they're going to gravitate towards right because like my my community of, of followers if i um you know if i put someone else's product on there they may not gravitate towards it because that's not what they that's not what they like that's not what inspires them right so they may not they may not uh bite you know what i'm saying yeah but i think i think learning you know what your what what your community you know what they gravitate towards what they like mm-hmm. and uh, you know just using that for leverage and something else i'm hearing you say is that like I, i've been under the impression that part of building a huge social media following mm-hmm. requires like every day like posts every day just being up there yeah. a lot but it doesn't seem like you're up there a whole lot. I'm not now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I was, especially starting out, it was like a it was like a grind. So, but now I'm like, I'm at a well. I'm not gonna say that because I I would I would post like 
I would post every day if I could. But mm-hmm. it's just like I don't really have the time to like really just go down go down in the, uh, in the studio and just record every like clips every single day and upload them like that. Right. Because for me, I'd rather put out I'd rather put out quality content. And over quantity. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So, Me too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I kind of just, I take time to actually be creative mm-hmm. and just figure out, okay, is this is this good enough to put out or, because I, I don't want to just put out any, you know, anything. Right. You see a lot of people just like making posts for post's sake. Yeah. And just, some, of, some of it's playing, some of it's talking, some of it's a picture. But yeah. like, every time I, I'm getting ready to post something, I'm like, is this really worth posting or is this just going to contribute to the mountain of pointless <laughs> bullshit on social media yeah, man. <laughs> so that's i mean that's my thing like when i when i first started out of course i was posting like crazy like every day every day yeah. almost every day and i mean i feel like that's good though because that gives you that gives you a chance to see like that gives you a chance to see like what kind of audience you're you're going to build like mm-hmm. from and who's going to like what you what you post who's going to gravitate towards what you post because mm-hmm. it's trial and error in the beginning right until you really figure out or find out you know what's your audience who who cares about what you do right who supports what you do mm-hmm. so I feel like posting consistently is a is a very important thing especially in the beginning but like now it's kind of like I know people know what they're going to get from me right and they and I know what. I kind of know what I'm gonna get from them. Yeah, yeah. Because it's you know from doing it so long and just building that community of people. Um, but yeah, like like now I don't really post. I don't really post every single day. I try to definitely stay consistent with it just to keep people um, engaged. Right. So don't go away for too long. Yeah, don't go away for too long. <laughs> yeah, because they'll lose. They'll just like follow so- somebody else. Exactly. <laughs> just like social. I mean, social media is like people just scroll, scroll, scroll yeah, all day. Man. So it's like. Sometimes they'll just scroll right past it. Yeah. You know, and if you're not on there, they'll like they'll forget about you. Yeah. So I'm I'm in the middle of like a little short experiment of just being off Instagram. I've been off it for two days. Yeah. I could feel myself just getting too deep down the Instagram hole. Yeah, man. And I had to come up for air. Yeah. So I I do the same, man. (laughs) I mean that's that goes that's uh the same the same thing I was saying earlier, just uh finding a balance. I mean, even even with that too, like between yeah. work, that still work for me. Right. Like social media, and then like just you you find I find myself sometimes just like scrolling, just I I, I go by. It's like it's like two hours just yeah. going by, just Mindless. scrolling. Yeah, and I'm like I could have I could have done this, I could have done that, but I'm over here scrolling. So I just make myself. Though I need to put the phone down and just focus on what I'm doing right now. Yeah, and just you know stay off of Instagram. Have you also found that there are certain things in your feed like certain people or organizations you follow that that just make you have a negative reaction to it every time and you've had to weed out yeah some of that stuff yeah and it's not that they're trying to get a negative reaction they're just putting their shit out the same as you yeah but like feelings of insecurity or jealousy or envy like i've found i've had to just like unfollow me too like love you yeah unfollow sorry you have to man because i mean dude it's like you have to um Anything that makes you, I guess, feel like you're insecure or feel, you know, feel negativity and negative energy, you have to get rid of it. Right. You have to. Because yeah. <laughs> if not, man, it's going to, it'll take you off your focus until you, until you become, you know, stronger mentally to where you can look at it and be like, okay, it's, you know, it's nothing. It's not going to bother me. Right. But until that comes, yeah, you, you have to, 
you know, just get rid of that negativity, get rid of the things that's going to make you feel insecure so you can focus on yourself. Right. Yeah. Right. It's also made me sensitive to, like, what I post. Like, if I've got yeah. something really cool going on, yeah. you know, I, I do want to share it, but I'm kind of careful about how I present it because I don't want somebody else to look at mine and be like, ah, fuck that guy, unfollow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I... All this to say is I'm way too in my head about it and, yeah. and just need to, like I said, come up for air. Right. Um, and I mean, I don't know for me too, I used to, I used to be that way. Like, and I feel like, I feel like to a certain extent that can hold people back as mm-hmm. far as like, you know, just worrying about what people would think about you. Yeah. And just like trying to, trying to alter what you're, what you're about to put out, what you're about to do just for the sake of one person or yeah. a couple people. And you know that you know instead of you inspiring thousands of people, you're focusing on what these other two people may think when you put up something or put out something or mm-hmm. do something. So for me, that's that's something that I, I ran into. Well, I, I would say in the last couple of years, and I've been I've been better about that. Just being being myself and really just yo, I, I know I know what I have. I know what I do. This is me. I'm mm-hmm. going to put it out. Yeah. Not caring what anyone else thinks. You like it. You like it. If you don't, you don't. Right. So, but that's definitely, that was definitely a point in my, in my life, in my career that I was focusing on like, like what other musicians would think. Yeah. Like other, other uh, notable musicians would think about what I post. Mm-hmm. And truth is, they're not the ones supporting you. It's the people, well, not, not all the time. Right. But it's, it's really those like. The non well, I'm not gonna say non musicians, but the the smaller people. Yeah, that's that's you going to that's inspired by you by what you do, right? And as opposed to the, you. as opposed to the people above you, exactly. who might be able to do you a favor or whatever, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So instead of like worrying, I mean, of course, it you want to take all that stuff into consideration, but you don't want to you don't want to lose yourself in it. Yeah, like you want to you want to remain like you want to be authentic in what you do you want to be yourself 100% right and just like you don't want to feel insecure about what you do just have confidence in sure what you do. Yeah. yeah don't make it a bigger deal than it is but yeah. don't minimize it right like this is what I do this is where I am this is me yeah this is me yeah yeah exactly cool Man, it was great talking to you. Thank you for for making the drive. Yes, sir, man. Thank you for having me. Like I said, I didn't realize it was so long a drive for you. (laughs) I'm used to it, man. It's what I've been doing for years, so. Cool. It's all good. Cool. Best of luck, man. Thanks for talking. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks to Gerard. Hope you dug that. Check him out with The Four Corners. Their latest release is called Portals of Gold. And as we talked about, he has a big social media presence, so he's not hard to find online. Next week, Matthew Kraus will be talking with J.C. Clifford. The... Next week, Matthew Kraus will be talking with J.C. Clifford, the co-founder of Drumtax. That'll be an interesting conversation about the business side of the music industry and being positive and honest in your networking. So I hope you'll check that out. Until then, thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.